Good morning, everybody. When I was preparing and kind of doing my bits of shopping for what I needed this morning, my two boys went, oh, great, it's a family service. And I went, no, it's not. What? You've got all that just for the grown-ups. I went, yep, just for the grown-ups. I'm going to start by thinking about two groups that I'd like to say thank you to this morning. Um, The first group I want to say thank you to are actually a group that aren't in here. Um, But I'm going to pass it on to Carolyn and Barney for you to pass on to them, because it's the children's workers. Um, They serve our church so diligently. And I want to thank God for the way that our family has been served tirelessly for years by children's workers right across all churches. I know when we started this church plant 15 years ago, the children's work was something that we felt passionately about. And we'd heard of other church plants moving out and people having to move back from the, to the church where they planted from because there just wasn't the kids' work that served the needs for the children. And one of the church um, members at the time was a guy called Paul Featherstone, who many of you will know, who he and his wife Pam moved to Devon a few years ago. And um, just bearing in mind, I'm going to come on to him in a minute. There's a reason why I've mentioned him in connection to children's work. Um, so, guys, thank you for how you serve the church and the team that you've got around you. Um, The other group I want to mention is the group that are there to welcome us through the door. The smiles that you get when you walk through the door. I quite often come through the back door because it's where we've parked and come in and I miss coming through that front door. For those that are serving in the background, setting out the chairs, I don't know if you've realised but these chairs disappear at one o'clock on a Sunday lunchtime and don't reappear till nine o'clock, half nine on Sunday morning again. And people have to be here to do that. People making the tea and the coffee, making sure there are biscuits for you after the kids have got them. Keeping the building clean, unblocking the ladies' toilet. Making this building function so that we can make the most of it on a Sunday morning. Guys, thank you. If you are part of that team, thank you so much. And I want to plug both of those groups. Both are in need of new people to go and work as part of those teams. So if you're not currently serving in an area of church life, but would like to get to know more people and serve those that you can see around you this morning, please speak to someone about it or your life group leaders and get involved. And if you're not in a life group, join a life group and then speak to your leaders. The reason I start with those thoughts this morning is because when I was thinking about this morning's topic, a particular story came to mind. I go back 20-plus years to when I was really young, thank you, Um, to the only church service where I know we have had to evacuate the building because of a fire alarm. We were escorted out of the building by those in, uh, in the stewards into the car park, and we weren't aware of what had set off the alarms, but rumors started, and then were later confirmed. One of the children's workers, Mr. Paul Featherstone was teaching a group of five to seven-year-olds the story that I want to start with this morning, Moses and the burning bush. Hmm. He wanted to make it as realistic as possible, so he brought a plant in and set it on fire, which would have been fine if the plastic plant pot that he'd put the plant in hadn't caught fire. I really thank God for creative teachers and for the stewards that could get us out of the building safely 
and quickly. If you want to join the kids' work, I suggest you don't try that one. It doesn't work. So today, we're going to continue with our series of looking at finding Jesus in the Old Testament. We've looked at Jesus in the Garden of Eden with Jesus as the second Adam. He is the promised saviour. He wasn't an afterthought, but he was part of the plan from beginning of time. Then we looked at the flood. We have to make a choice in the same way that the people of Noah's day did, to trust in the one that saves. Noah could save at the time, but it's Jesus is the one who saves for all eternity. Then Rob last week looked at the parallels between the sacrifice with Isaac and Abraham and Jesus. God provided a sacrifice instead of Isaac, and Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us, for our sin. So this brings me to the next stage, which is the life of Moses. And I'm just going to touch on a small part of his life, and I've alluded to it already, where God reveals himself as the great I am. So we're going to start reading Exodus 3. I'm going to break it all up and do bits in between, but we're going to work through the story in Exodus 3. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why? The bush doesn't burn up. I'm just going to say here, as I've been going through this week, I've had a real problem with the word bush, and every time I've said it, it's come out as the word bus. So if I start talking about burning buses, you know why, and it's not just some plan I've got in my head. As we work through the story, I want us to look at a number of things to see how this reveals Jesus as God right throughout Scripture. So my first point is God the incarnate. At the beginning of this story, we see that God revealed himself to Moses personally. He got Moses' attention by something that shouldn't be, a bush that was on fire but not burning. Those of you that know me well may have heard me say, it's not right, it just makes me feel funny. And it's usually about something that's just wrong, like wearing odd socks. It's not right. Socks come in pairs for a reason. Well, for many years, every time I heard someone talking about Moses and the burning bush, the conversation that was going on in my head was that I'd have to silently correct them because it wasn't a burning bush. It was a bush that was on fire, but that wasn't being consumed and wasn't burned. So more accurately, this story should be called Moses and the bush that was on fire but not burning, but it doesn't have quite the same ring to it. God was using the physically impossible to reveal himself. I love Moses' response. I'll go over and see this strange stuff. I don't know if I'd have gone over to see it. But what happens next that causes Moses to go over? That time Moses meeting with God at the bush, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. This appearance of God is the first step in God sending a rescue plan for his people. God's people were caught in slavery and in need of a rescuer. 
And God was speaking directly to Moses personally and explained how he was called to be the rescue plan for the Israelites. The ruler of the day, Pharaoh, doesn't recognize the authority that Moses came with, so ignored him. So eventually, after nine plagues, the tenth plague brings freedom for the captives. I'm not going to say any more on this because I don't want to spoil any future sermons there may be. Does any of this sound familiar? If we go forward a few thousand years to the time when Jerusalem was under Roman rule, God's people again were in need of a rescue plan. The angel had prepared the way, just as in Moses' case. And Jesus, also called Emmanuel, which means God with us, comes to earth. Only this time, when God appears, it's in the form of a baby. Once again, Jesus is not recognized for who he is, the rescuer. The one sent to bring freedom to the captives. And Jesus was out on the lake in the storm. After he'd calmed the storm, the disciples said, and looked in Luke 8, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. There was a recognition at this point that something was different about this man. Something was significantly different. Not only was he a man, but he was also fully God. And yet again, God used that which was natural to display the supernatural. Let's forward another few thousand years. This world now is in need of a saviour again. After Jesus rose from the grave, he ascended back into heaven. He said he was leaving the Holy Spirit on earth. And this is God with us now, today. As a charismatic evangelical church, we believe that God is still active and living today through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is the third part of God as revealed through Scripture. Since the beginning of time, God the Father has revealed to Moses... God the Son in Jesus and the Holy Spirit were there and revealed themselves to us on earth at different times. Evangelist John Glenn Shrivener said, Here at the burning bush we see God's people on earth in a furnace of affliction. And yet their king, the great I Am, descends into the burnings to be with his people and to lead them out. The pattern of the exodus is the pattern of the gospel. In other words, what we see in the life of Moses and his encounter with God at the bush is the same as what we see through Jesus as revealed to us in the gospels. This man is recognising the holy presence of God on earth, which I find truly amazing. Theologian John Owen explains that Jesus is the angel of the covenant, the great angel of the presence of God, in whom was the name and the nature of God. This is no other but the Son of God. No wonder Jude can look back in the, to the Exodus and say, Jesus saved a people out of the land of Egypt, in Jude 5. Jesus Christ really is the God of Israel and the hero of the whole Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, Jesus is the one and only mediator of the God Most High, marching purposefully on towards his own incarnation. God manifests himself in physical form so that Moses could relate to him. He, 
was God incarnate. My second point is that God calls me, and wherever I say me, put you in, because it's you as well. I'm not just talking to me here, I'm talking to all of us. God calls me by name. So let's pick up the story again in Exodus 3, verses 4 to 10. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him to the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the land, hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of a land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I think if I'd heard a bush talking to me, especially one that was on fire but not burning, I'd have run the other way. I'd have thought I'd have gone mad. However, Moses knew the voice of God because when he hears God calling him by name from within the bush, he recognises him and answers back, here I am. Here, God has a purpose for calling Moses and he takes the initiative and calls him from where he is. Whether you're in Saturn or Epsom, God calls you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And I was really challenged by what Rob was saying about just listening and hearing to see if that's the right move for you because that's part of who God is with us at the moment and he's, he's talking to us as a church about moving and going and following him. So take that from Rob this morning and listen to it and see if that's God calling you to Epsom. When Moses was called, he was tending his father-in-law's sheep. As we know from the Christmas story, that was a menial task. And the story started by telling us that Moses had taken the sheep to the far side of the wilderness. Why on earth would you do that? Why go out of your way? I've written with a bunch of sheep. I should probably say a flock of sheep if I'm being grammatically correct, but a bunch of sheep. I believe that God was leading him to the place where he would meet with him. This is where God chose to reveal himself. God took that, which was natural, and every day, and turned it into a supernatural encounter. And something very special. God sent the angel ahead to prepare the way. He then called him by name and then revealed himself. He gives Moses the plan for bringing the Israelites out of captivity into a promised land. Moses was God's plan to save his people. He called Moses by name. He invited him into his presence and then he revealed who he was. He showed him what to do with the Pharaoh. Through the book of Exodus, we see the scene play out where God had said he'd show his hand 
and he did so through the plagues. Eventually, we see the Israelites freed by a man that had been called by name to enter a holy place and receive a new purpose to life. No longer would he shepherd sheep, but he'd now been called and would shepherd people. Throughout scripture, God calls us and his own by name. He called Abraham and gave him a new name. He called Jacob by name. And let's not forget, he called Adam and Eve and the whole of the tribe of Israel. Let's go back to Jesus and the beginning of his ministry. He's gathering some men to work with him. He goes down to the local fishing port and he starts calling his disciples. He calls them from wherever they are, doing their jobs. And he gives them a new purpose. He calls them to be fishers of men. Over the next three years, they follow his instructions and do what they saw him doing. They learned from him. And as a result of his work here on earth, Jesus set the captives free. The blind got the sight, the lame walked, the possessed walked free from demons. He healed the sick and raised the dead. And the disciples was there firsthand to see him at work. All of this because he called a random group of men by name and gave them new purpose for life. So I shared last week in worship, one of my favorite passages is Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I believe this is what God would want to say over each one of us today. He's called us by name. We are new creations when we accept what Jesus did through his death and resurrection. The old way of living has gone, and the new life is birthed in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit that I was just talking about. And that means now I have a new purpose. He's called me to be his hands and his feet. He's called me to be his heart of compassion, to be his voice of reason here on earth now. In a world that needs a saviour more than at any other time in history. We only need to look at the news to know that this world seems to be in a self-destruct mode. Do I believe that Jesus is the answer? Yes. I'm glad I've got somebody agreeing with me this morning. I'm on the right lines, thank you. But that poses me with a challenge. Because if I believe that Jesus is the answer... I'm the one that has to take Jesus out. I'm the one that has to take that message of hope. God takes me from where I am with my family, my workplace, the road where I live. He calls me to be a voice and his heart to those around me. He takes that which is natural and through the Holy Spirit makes it something supernatural. I can't do it on my own, but God does it in me and through me 
and at the same time as scaring me senseless, that really excites me. My third point is that God is the I am. Just as we were singing that last song, I am who you say I am, these two words have just been transformed in my thinking as I've gone through this whole preach and recognizing and understand who I am in him. So thank you, Kevin. Fab. So we're going to continue with the story in Exodus 3. I've just taken key words and key parts. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless the mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. UCB recently had a picture on their Facebook page and asked people to finish the sentence, God is. And comments were coming in about how important God was to them and what God had done for them. But one man's response really caught my attention because he simply said this, God is. This sentence is fine as it is. It needs no ending. Some of you will know I get really excited quite easily about things. And when I saw the list of sermon topics, this was one that really grabbed me and really excited me. Because I've always been intrigued by just these two words. God is. God is what? No. Just that God is. I did a philosophy degree and A-levels before that, and one of the philosophers I studied was Descartes, who's famous for saying, I think, therefore I am. It was his proof for his existence. Because he can think, he knows he exists. But in the passage in Exodus, God isn't justifying himself or explaining his existence. He is simply stating he is. He doesn't reveal himself as, I could be, or I want to be, or even, one day I'm going to be. He just is. Now, I'm not known for being good with languages. In fact, I was so bad, I failed French O-level three times and was actively discouraged by my German teacher not to bother turning up anymore. The youth group I grew up in used it to joke that I was so bad at foreign languages that one day I would probably marry a foreigner. Well, how prophetic was that? Fortunately, I chose someone that did speak some English when we met. I say it because language has to be straightforward for me to understand. English grammar is probably the hardest lesson I teach each week, getting to get grips with the names of which tense and which, really? 
Do people need to know this at eight and nine years old? Well, to pass a test, they do. But I find it really challenging. But as I've been looking at the meaning I am used by God here, I've been amazed at how incredible these two words actually are. In the original form, they show that God isn't just now, but he always has been, and he always will be, from beginning to end. He just is. We know in Hebrews 13, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is another time when it's linking Jesus back to the God that is the I am. Another reason I was really excited was because for me, this passage joins all the docs. It it kind of brings everything to completion and back to wholeness. God reveals himself as the I am. And then when Jesus is teaching and revealing himself to his disciples and those listening, he reveals himself by using this same phrase. There is no difference in the language from God using the phrase in Exodus to when Jesus is using the phrase in sayings like, I am the bread of life in John 6. This is the reminder that God provided the manna, the form of bread in the desert and the wilderness to the Israelites. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Psalm 119, it talks about your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. And in John's gospel, Jesus is referred to as the word. He's the one that brings light to the darkness and lights the path where we're to walk. Other I am sayings that Jesus uses is I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. These are just a few of the I am sayings, and they can be all found in John's gospel. Throughout the Old Testament, God identifies himself in the same ways as being our shepherd, our light, and our life. But most significantly, Jesus referred to himself as the I am in John 8, 56 to 58, when there's a conversation, and he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. This was not lost on the people of his day because they saw it as pure blasphemy. John Piper said this, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, He took up all the majestic truth of the name of God, wrapped it in the humility of servanthood, offered himself to atone for all our rebellion, and made a way for us to see the glory of God without fear. For what reasons did the Jewish leaders want to try and stone Jesus? Because he referred to himself with one of the names of God, the name by which God revealed himself to Moses. I am. It would have angered the Jews if Jesus had said, before Abraham I was, or before Abraham I existed. But by Jesus referring to himself as I am, they were angered even more because he was clearly and pointedly identifying himself as God. Some other places where Jesus referred to himself as I am is John 13. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. 
And in John 18, at Jesus' arrest, the guards were looking for Jesus and said, Jesus of Nazareth, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Notice in the verse when Jesus identified himself as I am. The arresting party were miraculously knocked to the ground by the power of those two words. John Piper sums it up by saying this. I think it would be safe to say that God's purpose in his meeting with Moses is to reveal that he never had before the meaning of his personal name, Yahweh. The key is in the phrase, I am, and especially the phrase, I am who I am. There aren't any words more important than these. Any words that you think might be are important only because these words are true. The more you ponder them, the more awesome they become. I know I can't do them justice, but perhaps the Holy Spirit might take my stammerings and attempt to open some vista for you this morning. And just as he said that, that's my prayer too. Just as we were in worship and going through, um, I had a picture that instead of a wooden floor, the, the floor of this room was soil. And some of it was just like really hard and dry. And other bits of it were being churned and being turned over. And other bits were just ready for planting and ready for um, seeds. And other, plant, other parts of it had full harvest. And I just believe that somewhere we're all in this room. I know we're all in this room, I can see us. But in that picture, some of our hearts are hard to what God is saying. And this morning, he wants to plough that ground. He wants to soften those hard places. For some of us, we've had seeds planted where we've heard what God has done for us. But this morning, he wants that seed to grow. And for those of us where the seed has grown, he's saying it's time for the harvest. It's time for us to bear fruit. It's time for us to go from a people of listening and hearing to a people of doing. But we're all on a journey with that. My fourth and final point is that God is holy. I'd like us to finish by thinking about God's instructions to Moses that is to remove his shoes because he is standing on holy ground. Later in the life of the Israelites, they built a temple as the meeting place of God. Only the priest could enter that inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. This was separated from the outer courts by the curtain. And when Jesus was on the cross, we're told in Matthew 27, that at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus made it possible through his death for us to enter the holiest place again. In the way that Moses had entered God's presence... The place we're standing is holy ground because Jesus, through his death, has cleansed us and made us right with him. The separation that was there between us and God has gone. We can now all enter that holy place to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
In Hebrews 4.16, we're encouraged to let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence and that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I've put a rope down that separates me from the communion and this table of sweets and giddies. It's a physical demonstration of what was there. It was a separation between us and God's presence. I'm not saying chocolate is God's presence, I'm talking about the communion. But he's made it possible through Jesus' death to take away the guilt and the shame. God made it possible for us to come back into his presence through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. When the priests were in the temple, they had to prepare sacrifices to take. Moses had to take off his shoes. We have to prepare our hearts. God has done away with all the sacrifice. We don't have to do that anymore. We have to accept what Jesus has done for us. We're going to come and take communion. And what I want to do for us to be able to do that is to remove the rope so that we can come and enter that place. As I, as I kind of pull this, it's a physical demonstration of what God has done. He has removed the barriers. He's removed the need for sacrifice. He has removed the need for us to go and pay penance for our sin. Jesus has done that. Jesus came and died so that we didn't have to. This separation has now gone. We can come as Moses did into that holy place. We're encouraged in Corinthians to take the bread and remind and remember this. And remember the sacrifice of Jesus to enable us to enter that holy place. As we take the bread and the wine, be aware that the holy place that you can now enter, God's presence, is as a result of Jesus dying on the cross. Now I know some of you are astute this morning and can see that there's a third table. And as I was preparing and thinking about this, the bread and the wine are the necessary. We have to accept what Jesus did on the cross for us. When we do that, we can just live with the basics. Or he's inviting us into his presence this morning to taste and see that the Lord is good and he has good gifts for us. It doesn't stop with just acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross. For Moses, it wasn't just about crossing that line and coming into God's presence. He then was called for a purpose that he had to go and do. And this morning, all I'm asking you to do, there is a selection of chocolate and sweets. And there are a selection of verses that are there just to encourage. That as you take communion, you come and take something that is the more than, the bonus the thing that God has got for you, take it as a symbol and go and ask God, what is it you are calling me by name to achieve? What is the purpose that you have called me for? What is it that's sweet 
that you want me to go and do for others around me? What are those words of encouragement that you want me to go and share? What is it in my heart of compassion that you want me to do with those around me? And it's there just as a symbol for you to just take. You can take one. You can take one from each bowl. You don't have to take any. Nobody is judging you. If you don't want any, that's fine too. But I want you to be encouraged this morning that today, the great I am, who was and is and will always be, is a God who calls you by name and invites you into his holy presence. Let's stand, let's pray, and let's worship. Father God, I thank you that you've called us by name into your holy presence for a purpose that you have called and designed and made us for. Father, as we take this bread and this wine, we just say thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Lord, as we taste and see that the Lord is good, open our hearts and minds to what it is you have for us. Father, we thank you that that curtain tore, that divide has gone, and we can come in as we take this bread and wine. Father, let us remember that sacrifice, that forgiveness that you bring to the sin, the shame, and the guilt. Father, I thank you that we are made whole in you through what you did on the cross. Thank you, Lord.